Hey everybody and welcome to the UFC on ESPN Plus 23, Edgar versus the Korean Zombie Dissection. I always fucking hate doing these ES opening up these ESPN Plus cards because the title's so goddamn long. But um anyway, card this weekend obviously as the name entails gonna be headlined by Frankie Edgar and uh the Korean zombie. Great fucking fight. Little nervous about this one just because like Frankie was thinking about moving down to Bantamweight to fight Corey Sandhagen, and now he's fighting a really seasoned guy. But um, some great fights on this card. I think it's going to be a fun fight card. Um, before we get into breaking it down, let's get into some news. Uh, I saw big news is that Rory McDonald has made the decision to sign with PFL. And uh, PFL, Professional Fighters League, they get their fights broadcasted on ESPN2. I'm not sure. If, if any of you guys know, leave it in the comments. I'm not sure how bellator is doing compared to pfl in terms of viewership i don't know who's pulling more in but i would imagine that just the espn2 name right like the, the fact that they have espn underneath them i would imagine that pfl is going to pull better stuff especially when you got an elite fighter like rory mcdonald on your roster now people are going to tune in to watch him fight because they know that he fought in the ufc i mean rory mcdonald's one of the best welterweights in the world recently just lost his welterweight championship to uh Douglas Lima, who's another guy, man, who, I mean, I personally think that Douglas Lima is one of those guys who could hang around with the top five in the welterweight division. He's a world fucking class, man. He's really good, has a great game plan every time he comes in to fight, and, uh, you know, went out and got a decision win over Rory McDonald, who is one of the best fighters at 170 pounds in the world right now. And I think this is a smart move for Rory because, especially in terms of pay, PFL has a welterweight championship, right? Like a in tournament style where you work your way through the bracket and it's based on a point system. And um, the winner of the tournament ends up winning a million dollars. And if you consider how good Rory McDonald is, in the beginning part, not that you can sleep on anyone, it's MMA, I'm not saying that, but in the beginning parts of that tournament, Rory McDonald should have an easy way through up until like the semifinals and the finals is when I think you'll start seeing him face a little bit of resistance, you know? But, I mean, he's one of the best in the world, so like I said, low risk, and then you go into a tournament that you think you're going to be able to make. I, I would imagine that Rory McDonald would be the favorite to win that tournament, and it's a million dollars, you know what I mean, in your pocket, which is a big purse for a fight. And I understand that you have to win to get there, but I would say it's pretty likely that Rory McDonald will be able to pull that off. Not that he won't face resistance. I just think Rory McDonald is very legit, right? So, and also consider, I think that I looked at the pay, and I might be, again, correct me if I'm wrong on this. I don't want to be talking out of my ass. But I think that Kamaru Usman and Colby Covington both just made north of $500,000 for the fight that they put on. So, I mean, to win a million dollars in a fight, is a significant amount of chatter. So good move for Rory McDonald. I don't know. Like I said, I don't know how it's going to play out in terms. This is going to be a good thing for both PFL and Rory. But um, right now, as in terms of like viewership, I don't know who's pulling more PFL or Bellator. I feel like Bellator's marketing might be a little better, but PFL, like I said, they've got ESPN underneath them. So I don't know. And now, you know, ESPN works with the UFC. So I would imagine there's going to be a little bit of like, negotiations about the footage that they can use from Rory's UFC days, you know, and I'm sure that the UFC will be okay with that. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's a good move for both the company and Rory McDonald, the individual, right? So uh, good for him. I'm excited to watch him over there. And I love when guys move like this, right? Because you get it draw like when Demetrius Johnson, Eddie Alvarez, at least for me, it drew so much more attention to one FC. 
and uh like guys like Sage Northcutt get knocked out by Cosmo Alexander, you go, oh, fuck, there's some legit fighters over at one, you know? And I'm kind of hoping people say the same thing about PFL as guys like this move around. I think it's good for the sport. Um, okay, another headline I saw is that Uriah Faber said he's not really worried about the belt, he just wants to fight. And I said this on the last podcast, I hope that's the route he decides to go if he wants to fight. If you're looking at the title and thinking that it might be within range even after the fight you just had against Piotr Jan – it makes me nervous for the damage that he's going to take in his career. But make no mistake about it. What Piotr Jan did to Uriah Faber on Saturday night, Piotr Jan would do to a lot of the guys in the top 15. He is not on that level anymore. He is like a top three guy in the world, and he's about ready to challenge for a world championship, and he proved it. His boxing is really crisp. He's super aggressive, great footwork, great in scrambles, hard to take down, good wrestling. He's on fire right now. So don't get it twisted and think that just because he knocked Uriah Faber out, it means Uriah Faber's old. I think Uriah Faber personally can hang around with a lot of the guys in the top 15, maybe even the top 10, just not Piotr Jan, you know? I think that it's just a little too much. And yes, Uriah Faber is older and his reaction times are slowed down, but I think that's a tough fight for Uriah Faber at any point in his career. I really do. I don't know if Uriah Faber's skill set ever matches up to like defeat a guy like Piotr Jan. So uh, I think he would have had a better chance if he was younger, but it's a tough matchup for Uriah Faber's style in general. And he's just fighting a young, hungry guy, and he's contemplated retirement in the past, you know. But I like top 15 fights for Faber. I think he can still hang around with those guys. I don't think that's terrible. Um, okay, I wanted to touch on something real quick. And uh, that's like, okay, so this weekend, a lot of you guys who are obviously MMA fans are going to know that the UFC event isn't the only one coming up this weekend, right? And I don't want to discredit the other organizations. Um, like Bellator has a salute for the troops, which is headlined by Josh Barnett, youngest heavyweight champion in UFC history, right? I think he won it when he was like 23, 24. Um, it's just that – and you also got on December 21st on the same day uh, as the UFC event, you've got Bellator 236, right? It's not that I don't – watch Bellator that I, I just don't have the time to go through all the fighters on these cards and put together dissections like these for them. So if there's a UFC event and a Bellator event, unless there's like a nothing going on for me and I have the time, I usually only have time to pick one of them and UFC gets precedence. I just have more exposure to the fighters there. And, uh, you know, I know more about their backgrounds and it's just, I mean, it's more popular, man. And if you're going to pick a fight, an event, like just be completely honest with yourself, you're going to pick the one with the most amount of talent on the card. And not that other organizations don't have top talent. Like, there might be a couple organizations that have fighters like 1FC as Demetrius Johnson, right? And they might have a few fighters that are really elite. But all in all, the UFC has the most depth. They have the most talent packed into the, like, top 10 among any of the organizations in the world and by a pretty wide margin. It's, like, throughout the whole roster, too. It's not just a weight class or two. Like, Bellator has a really good 170 weight class, pretty good 155-pound weight class. But it's just not on the level that the UFC's is nowhere near, right? So the UFC usually gets precedence with stuff like that. But on December 28th, you got a Bellator 237 event headlined by Fedor and Rampage. And uh, I don't have there, – there's no UFC event. You know, you don't get another UFC event until Connor and uh, Cowboy fight on January 18th. So I'm hoping that in these coming weeks I get to move into breaking like the Bellator and the one fights and maybe rise. And, you know, we'll try to get into those a little bit more slowly, but – for the most part, just know that it's not that I'm ignoring the other ones. I'm aware of what's going on with them. But as far as breaking them down and trying to give like the fights the respect that they deserve, I just don't have the time. So I go with the UFC. 
Um, but let's move on to breaking down this main card. And this is going to be a fun fight card, man. To kick things off, you're going to have, and I'm going to, okay. I always get confused with these Asian names, right? Like Weili Zong. Is it Weili Zong or Zong Weili? I see it spelled some way, some places. I'm going to pronounce them how they are listed on the UFC website. So the first fight is a bantamweight bout between Kyung Ho Kang and Liao Ping Wan. And um, this to me is, you've got a guy in Kyung Ho Kang who has fought uh, a guy like Brandon Davis, right? And got a split decision against him. Very good in the grappling department. Very long, wide stance. Very smooth with his striking. Fights behind the jab wall, sets things up well. But his real specialty is uh, taking you back. Locking in that rear naked choke. I think this guy's got 11 wins by submission so far in his career. And um, he fights really well on the feet, too. And I think that's going to give Liu Ping Pingyan. I'm going to... I'm. I'm going to warn you guys right now that I'm going to fuck names up on this one, so please don't hold it against me. Um, I'm trying. But I think that Ping Wan is going to just struggle with the length and the reach of Kyung Ho Kang because he utilizes it so well. And you'll also see that like in Liu Pyongyang's fight against uh, Damian Stajak, he was taken down several times in the fight, and this is what I kind of see happening in this one, right? Kang is going to be able to hang back and pick uh, – Leo apart with his jab and just like those long shots. He utilizes range very well. You know what I mean? He doesn't find himself out of position very often. And the problem with this fight is I think that Leo Pignon is going to have to cover a lot of distance. And um, in order to get inside and do that, he's going to have to turn this into a dog fight and get a little bit reckless. And I think that Kang will be able to control the distance and the space between them very well. And as the fight starts to wear on, that'll frustrate Liu Pingyuan. I'm Liu Pingyuan. And uh, he'll end up shooting for like a – not shooting for a takedown, but he'll get overly aggressive with the strikes and it'll open up the takedowns for uh, Kyung Ho Kang. And once it gets to the ground, um, I think you're going to see a decided advantage in Kang's favor. I think that his submission skills are very good. He floats on top of you very well. He, he, his jiu-jitsu is very legit, and uh, he's very dangerous when he gets you there. So I would expect this fight to maybe be like – I would expect the first round to kind of be a feeling out process. But I really think that in order for Liu Ping Wan to – if he's going to be successful in this fight, he has to get within range. I think he'll have an advantage in terms of speed, by the way, in terms of like hand speed and kicks and stuff. I think he's just going to have to find ways to work it, work inside. And if he's not able to do that, then he'll get overly aggressive, which will open up takedowns. One of the things that uh, Ping Wong can do in this fight is attack the legs. Attack the legs and attack the body and mix things up and keep him guessing. Because if you're able to do that, then he's not, you know, that, that opens up things for you and you can get inside and work more easily. Maybe get into the clinch, get into some battles there, separate, get some punches off the brakes, some elbows. Um, if he's not able to do that, though, if he's not able to close the distance, I think he's going to have a long night. And I, I think that at some point, I just see this fight playing out like Liu Ping Wan is going to have to close the distance and Kang is just going to be able to maintain the range and it will eventually frustrate him. The fight will get to the mat because they'll engage in the clinch and there will be some point in the fight where an opening like it, obviously opens up for Kang and he takes advantage of it. And once he gets this fight to the ground, I think Ping Wan is going to be in a lot of trouble. So I'm taking Kyung Ho Kang. Probably second or third round submission. Like I said, I think you might see a little bit of a patient fight at first because the Ping Wan is going to, he's going to be looking for ways inside. And as 
because he knows if he's aggressive, he'll get taken down. And if he's not aggressive enough, you know, he's going to get picked apart on the outside. So it's this is a hard matchup, I think, for Liu Ping one. He's got a lot to overcome. So kind of hard to pick him in this one. But I'm going Kyung Ho Kang, second or third round sub, probably rear naked choke. That's his specialty. That's where he likes to go. All right, next we've got a middleweight bout between Jun Young Park and Marc-Andre Barriol. And uh, Power Bar is Barriol's nickname. Kind of a weird kind of a weird nickname, right? But um, a guy who, you know, he his most recent fight was against uh, not – who the fuck did he fight? Oh, my God, this is going to – I just had it pulled up. Give me one second. Uh, that's right, Christoph Jotko, and he lost via split decision. And this was a fight, man, that – Christoph Jotko's a dangerous guy, but it didn't feel to me like Jotko did the things that would have made him successful in this. And I know that uh, – I know that Barrio has power that you have to respect in his hands, but I thought Jotko was going to have a striking advantage going into this one. He didn't really utilize the kicks as well as he thought he would. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it is what it is though. Right. I mean, there was a lot of grappling exchanges that went on in that fight. And, uh, I just didn't think that Jocko fought his style of fight, a a style of fight that would have guaranteed him more success against a guy like this. Right. Anyway, uh, his first fight in the UFC was against Andrew Sanchez, unanimous decision lost. Andrew Sanchez is tough, man. Wrestling style, good boxing. But, um, I like I like to look at his fight against Adam Hunter in TKO, which, by the way, if you guys don't watch TKO, I love tuning into it because Robin Black does commentary for them, and he's one of the best commentators in the sport. It's just like the things that he picks up on is are really like – he's really good at understanding what's going on in the fight and telegraphing that to the people, right? But um, Adam Hunter had came on strong, was throwing a barrage of punches at Barry Ott, and he just stayed calm, man, and just was able to you know go out and pick up a knockout win in the first round. And um, he's clearly a guy that's dangerous. He has good grappling. He has good boxing fundamentals. But he's fighting a guy in um, Jun Young Park who is a phenomenal striker. His most recent fight against uh, Anthony Hernandez was a barn burner. Probably, I mean, if when I was breaking these fights down and going back and watching their old fights, um, kind of hard to find fights for these guys. Like, uh, but for this fight was maybe my favorite one to watch other than obviously like Duho Choi versus Cup Swanson, right? That was a fucking war. But, um, these guys were going at it, man, both landing combos and Junyeon Park is so good at understanding distance and he's so good at countering and he's always in position with his footwork. He has really good hands and he's dangerous, man. I mean, I don't even, I, I don't know how many knockout wins he has on his record, but it's quite a few, right? Um, he likes to stand with guys. He's got a couple chokes on there, but he's in a fight like this, especially where I think he'll have a grappling disadvantage. I think he's going to want to keep things on the feet. This is a pretty tough fight to pick because Barry Alt likes to come in with these big lunging overhand rights and stuff like that. Cause it, but he uses it as a way to cover distance and get guys up against the cage and grapple sometimes. Right. But he has power in it. So you have to respect it. So one of the things that, Here's what I think is going to happen for both guys in order for both guys to pick up a win, right? For Barrio, he's going to have to turn this into a grappling contest. I think that you have to find ways to close space and get this fight up against the cage. And really also, when you're throwing your combinations in open space, work the body of Park because he tends to keep his hands high and he headhunts. You don't see him – I haven't seen Park work the body a whole lot in a lot of the fights that I've watched. So 
I think that if you work the body, it'll be there. It'll get you to lower the hands, and maybe you can come up over the top with some of that power, and you're right if you're Barrio, right? But safest way to victory, especially because, like I said, if you go back and watch that Jodko fight, he likes to cover space with that big overhand right, get the fight up against the cage, and then initiate in the clinch. I don't know if he's going to be able to do that against Park because Park will just slide out of the way and counter. And you know, like he's really good with his foot- footwork and pivoting. And when you got a guy lunging at you and you're a counter puncher, that's your fucking dream. You're like, there are the openings. This is what I want. So I think Barry Alt, in order to do this, is going to have to slow down, use some good fundamental boxing, um, stick him to the body, open up the head, and those strikes will start to back him up. And you slowly put this fight up against the cage. And you're doing body work, knees, stuff like that, trying to drag this fight to the ground. Because there are some things that you'll see that Park does. Like I was watching one of his fights in one of – uh the organizations he was in before he made his UFC debut against Hernandez. And um, he, like, gave his back up and stuff, but the guy he was going against just wasn't able to capitalize on little things that Park was doing wrong. So he was able to stand up and get out of things. Um, if Burial is reckless with his striking and he's not careful and he's not calculated and he's not defensive, like if he's dropping his hands or his hands aren't coming back to his face after he's throwing combos, it's going to be a long fucking night for him. Park can box. You know, he's a really good striker and uh, almost reminds you of Conor McGregor in a little bit of a way, right? He's really good at striking while he moves backwards. Like he just slides out of range and comes over the top with stuff. And he, and then it's not just that he hits you with a punch or two. He hits you with like three, four, five punch combinations and he's able to do damage, man. This is uh, this is a tough fight for both guys, but I'm going with Barry Alt. Mainly because in a striker versus grappler matchup, I've learned that you a lot of the times I'll lean towards the grappler, you know? And uh like I said, I, I just think if Barry Alt slows this thing down, he's able to wear on Park up against the cage and stuff like that, he'll be able to slow this fight down and get it grind out a decision win. He might even be able to stop him. Maybe, you know, get a submission or something like that, but if he relies on his power in this fight and goes head hunting or he gets a little bit out of position on things he's going to face the consequences and park might be able to capitalize this is actually a really tough fight to pick um i'm not very confident in selecting either guy because like i said you just don't know what kind of game plan barry Alt's going to come out with but um i'm going to go with barry alt v unanimous decision i just think it's going to end up being like uh you know kind of like when devin clark fought alexander rochick a guy that we're going to fight talk about later on the card um immediately he came out engaged in the clinch and you just want to shut that power down man and not that park has that kind of power but i think he's a little bit more deadly on the feet and like in pure boxing exchanges and things that happen in the center of the oct- if this fight takes place in the center of the octagon i think it's going to be a long night for mark andre barrio but i do think he's going to slow it down up against the cage wrestling clinch work stuff like that body shots and get the win all right, I'm excited for this next fight coming up too, man. Da Un Jung versus Mike Rodriguez in a light heavyweight bout. And um, Mike Rodriguez is a guy who, you know, Mike Slow Rodriguez is his nickname because when his boxing coach first saw him, he said he was like, oh, shit, that guy's slow. And completely untrue if you watch him fight in the UFC, right? He's lightning fast, very explosive. Um, eight knockouts on his record in 14 fights. You know, he's got 10 wins, eight of them are knockouts. So this guy's a finisher. He's finished every – no, none of the fights that he's been in and won have gone to a decision. Um, Very sharp Muay Thai, very good kickboxing, good in the clinch, throws some elbows and stuff in there, and he's long, right? So if you can be long 
and have good elbows and good inside work, it's very hard for opponents to get off on you in the clinch, right? And that's where a lot of people want to put you. Before they get the takedown, you, you end up clinching a lot up against the cage. So for him to be good in that department is really important. Um, his last fight against John Allen Arche was overturned after uh, Arche tested positive for tamoxifen. I'm not exactly positive about what that is. Some type of, um, obviously some... PED, right? I don't, I don't know all the terminology for all of them. But uh, before that, he fought Adam Milstead, knocked him out in the second round, uh, lost a unanimous decision against Devin Clark. But in a fight where Devin Clark had, or he had Devin Clark in trouble at times, man, his striking is just so much better. But he got out wrestled. So one of the things that I think you would be looking for if you, if Mike Rodriguez was fighting a guy with some really good wrestling experience in this, would be like, okay, he's obviously got some holes in his grappling game that we're going to take advantage of. But fortunately for Mike Rodriguez, he's fighting a guy in a uh, Jung who primarily likes to keep things on the feet, but he's got a much different style than Rodriguez. Whereas Rodriguez explo- is explosive and he's coming straight down the pipe with hard shots and throwing knees and kicks and hard ass fucking leg kicks, man. I mean, he sat Devin Clark on his ass with a leg kick really fucking powerful. And, uh, so you'll see him firing stuff off with more intent. You know what I mean? He's trying to land. He's trying. He's very precise. Whereas Da Eun Jung is very patient. Fights behind his jab a lot. Just throws things out there. Never. It, not the volume that Colby puts out. But and you saw Colby get pretty aggressive this weekend. But just like he just wears on you slowly. And you saw when he fought Cadis uh, Kadis Ibragimov. Ibrahimov came out swinging, throwing haymakers, and he just covered up, man, stayed patient, kept fighting behind the jab, looking for openings, and eventually got, after Ibrahimov fatigued himself, picked up a win in the third round via, I think it was a guillotine or a front choke. Um, so this is going to be a battle of explosiveness and precision versus patience and the kind of fighting style that slowly wears on you over the course of a fight. Um, the problem is, is that with a guy like Ibrahimov, right? He had uh, Da Eun Jung in some trouble. Jung was covering up, doing some good things. Came back very, like I said, very patient, very calm. But they were definitely significant shots that he was landing, right? Um, things that on the judges' scorecard might have gave the round to Cadis. But I think that the main, the deciding factor in this fight is going to be that Mike Rodriguez is much longer. He's much more precise. And he has a lot of power. I think when you combine those three things, it's going to be a rough night for Da Eun Jung, who takes a while to get going. Now, key for Jung, stay defensive. Keep fighting behind your jab. Slowly work the body. Slowly work the head. Make the hands drop. Go up top. Leg kicks. you got to fight a well-rounded fight and wear on Rodriguez and hope that like you can get him to maybe draw him into throwing some of those explosive shots while you're staying defensive. If I... Uh, if Rodriguez gets to implement his game plan, establish the range, you know what I mean? And he's long, so if he's hanging out where you're not able to touch him, uh, it's going to be a long fucking night for you. So Jung needs to – I mean, I don't think he needs to change the style, man. I think he just needs to maybe put a little more volume out in order to to get the respect of Rodriguez so he doesn't get finished early. Um, if he's able to do that, slow the pace of this fight down to his style and then slowly come on stronger in the second and third round, he might be able to pick up a win in this fight. But I personally think that Rodriguez is going to get it done before time expires. I think that, like, I I just think his striking is on 
a little bit of a higher level when this fight is primarily going to take place on the feet. I think that Rodriguez has more in his arsenal in terms of attacks. And I think that he's more explosive and more powerful and a little bit more precise with his punching. And more he has more intent behind them. So uh, I'm taking Mike Rodriguez in this fight. Um, I think Rodriguez has best chances to win it early, but if the fight wears on, you might see Da Eun Jung start to take over. Um, like I said, very patient, very calm, very poised. Um, and he's got a veteran mindset when he's fighting in there, which is good. So the interesting fight. All right, not even to the co-main event yet, and you got Du Ho Choi fighting Charles uh, Jourdain. And uh, Du Ho Choi, obviously, this is going to be the first time he's fought in nearly two years. His last fight was a knockout loss to Jeremy Stevens. Um, and before that, he lost to Cub Swanson. And uh, I think before that, he knocked out Tiago Tavares, if I'm remembering correctly. Let me look that up and make sure I'm not fucking lying to you guys. But um, Duo Choi, very good, very fast hands, understands distance and range very well, has a razor-sharp right hand that has knockout power in it. Um, just pulled up his – yeah, Tiago Tavares, first-round KO. I mean, listen to this, man. Um, he, he started off his UFC career with three straight first-round KOs. I mean, he has legit knockout power, 14 wins, 11 knockouts, one submission, two decisions. Very legit on the feet. Very fast, very dangerous. And, you know, you saw him put Cub Swanson in trouble in that fight, that three-round war that those guys got in. But Swanson was just a, a vet, man. Whereas, um, and he was just able to outstrike him, man, do some things that, you know, some things that Troy probably hasn't seen before. But when he fought Jeremy Stevens, man, Jeremy Stevens just carries that fucking knockout power in his hands. And uh, you could see in that fight that Choi fights best, in my opinion, when he's moving forward and asserting himself. And that's a hard thing to do to Jeremy Stevens. Jeremy Stevens is an aggressive motherfucker, and it works so well for him. The reason that fight works so well, in my opinion, for Stevens is because Steven hits so fucking hard that it forces guy to res guys to respect him. And they're not willing to just sit and trade in the pocket because the chances of getting knocked out are so great. So it forces you to respect his power and back up. He was able to do that consistently to Choi, even when Choi is finding success. Like when he did back him up against the cage and cut that space off, uh, he was able to, you know, find success, but just very briefly before Steve. And Stevens was also doing little things, like things that you see veterans do when they fight guys who have a little bit less experience, like elbows off the break, right? And uh, maybe throwing an extra punch in a combination and landing where Choi was waiting on things. You know, it's just. Jeremy Stevens is one of those guys who, when he's fighting, man, it's all reaction. He's he's a he's a vet. It's muscle memory for that motherfucker, and he hits like a tank. So tough fight for Choi. Probably good that he took a two year layoff. To be honest, I like when guys suffer losses and they're like, "All right, time to get back to the drawing board and work on some things." Especially when you're young, I don't think octagon rust is as big of a deal. Um, he but Duho Choi is fighting a guy in uh, Charles Jordan who is very dangerous. And uh, a guy who has a very funky style and he fights very far away from you. He likes to hang back and he covers a lot of distance with the shots. The problem is that – oh, and one thing I wanted to point out that I noticed that was kind of odd that Jordan does, and I like it, I don't mind it, but he'll usually mirror the stance of whoever he's fighting. So, like, for example, Duho Choi is an orthodox. You're, you're going to probably see uh, Charles Jordan come out in orthodox. 
Um, he'll switch to southpaw every once in a while, but when he fights southpaws, he likes to stand southpaw. So there must be something in his striking style that he likes to have the same foot forward. Like if your right foot's forward, he's putting his right foot forward. But here's the thing. I like, I love the fact that he can do that. Like it shows you that he's got some diversity in his striking, but I would like to see him not get rooted. So rooted in one of the stances. Like if he's going to be fighting an Orthodox guy, I'd like to see him, uh, use the jab to push Choi to the right and then switch your stances, man, and come back this way and just keep, keep Choi guessing. I think if Jordan comes out and just fights an Orthodox style fight in this fight, it's going to be a long night for him. He comes from some crazy angles and, uh, you know, he covers distance pretty well, but he throws a lot of wild strikes that I think might get him in trouble, especially big looping shots and big knees, whereas Duho Choi is very traditional and likes to come straight down the pipe with things. Very fast with his hands and very fundamentally sound. I don't like this matchup for Jordan. I think it's a very tough one for him to overcome, but the wildness and the things that he throws and the unorthodox style might pose some, prob pose some problems for uh, Duho Choi. Um like I said, I think that if Jordan was able to mix up his footwork a little more fluidly and keep guys guessing, and, you know, I think that with him, if he tries to hang out on the outside and then use big movements to cover distance, it's going to be really dangerous against Troy because his hands are so fast. And like I said, he'll just come straight down the pipe. So I actually think for Jordan, he can't be using as big of movements to cover that distance, and he's got to be switching his footwork on and off, going to the body, going up top, but... I think this is a really fucking tough fight for him, especially for a guy in Duho Choi who has seen two of the best in the featherweight division already. Um, like I said, I just like Duho Choi to stay fundamentally sound, come down the middle with things, whereas Jordan will be a little wild. And I think the hand speed advantage is massively in favor of Duho Choi. I like Duho Choi to get this fight done in the first or second round. I think he's going to get Charles Jordan out of there. All right, co-main event is a good one between two knockout artists in Volkan Ozdemir and Alexander Rachik. Rachik? I think it's Alexander Rachik. I just watched the fights earlier. I should know. I'm going to go with Rachik, all right? But um, Rachik is a guy who is very long for the weight class and possesses incredible knockout power. Um, most recently, he just knocked out uh, Jimmy Manawan, but I mean – don't get me wrong, Jimmy Manna was a very good fighter, but he's older now and a lot of guys have been knocking him out. I'm worried about that guy's fucking mental health moving forward, to be completely honest with you. Uh, before that, he was fighting Devin Clark, knocked him out. He hit him with that like spinning back fist and then got on top of him and smothered him. Uh, again, Devin Clark in this fight came out and tried to just... Also, you'll see that Rotrick is very strong in the clinch and he's able to get his back off the cage and return to center where he wants this fight to happen. Um beat Justin Ledette before that and Francimar Barroso before that. So he started his UFC career off 4-0 right now. His only he's 12 and 1. His only loss was his professional debut of against Christian Rodke in 2011. So 8 years since this guy has suffered a defeat. Um and like I said, utilizes his range very well, has really good kicks, really good punches. I mean, he's really good everywhere. And he's fighting a guy in Volkan Ozdemir who is very uh, Ozdemir has really good knockout power, but he wears himself out a little bit by expending too much energy early on. I think, right. Um, kind of saw that in the Anthony Smith fight where he had Anthony hurt, um, at several points and probably was one of the first two rounds, but Smith took over in the third, nothing against, not that that's the only reason Smith won. Anthony Smith is a fucking dog, but, uh, 
fought against Dominic. Do- the Dominic Reyes fight was weird because I thought in that fight that Volkan Ozdemir wasn't fighting. Uh, he wasn't fighting like himself. He wasn't really pushing forward and being overly aggressive and trying to land that knockout shot and, you know, overwhelming Reyes with the strength. He kind of, it's like you got to find a mix, right? Like you got to find that mix between technicality and aggression. And uh, I don't think he quite found it in that one. I personally, when I watched that fight, I remember thinking that Ozdemir won. But uh, those kind of fights are fucking tough, man. Like if a fight's close and it ends up being a split decision and you think someone got robbed, I, you, I like. I don't think that Ozdemir was robbed in that fight. It wasn't, it wasn't like watching Johnny Hendricks and GSP or something like that, right? But um, anyway, he goes in and fights Alir Latifi, keeps things, you know, he he, and he fights more of his fight. He's pressing forward. He's using the power in his hands. He's engaging in the clinch where he's very strong, and uh, I think that's what this fight is going to come down to, man. It's going to come down to is Ozdemir going to be able to get into Rochick's face and crowd his space and get him. I think that Ozdemir is going to have to use some footwork to and his power. He has to threaten with his power to push uh, Alexander Rochick up against the cage. If he can do that, because when you got a long guy with a lot of power, you're going to get hurt on the end of his punches and on the end of his kicks and stuff like that, right? So you have to crowd his space and don't be surprised if you see early clinch battles from Ozdemir. Um, I think he's going to try to close off the amount of space, like I said, and crowd. Uh, Rochick out and you're gonna see some interesting clinch battles especially early on because these guys are so strong and uh I think that's what this fight's gonna come down to man but personally I think that Rochick is gonna be able to control the range of the fight he's gonna be able to stay in the center of the octagon especially if he works out and uses like the front kick and the jab a little bit and works behind those to kind of keep Ozdemir off him like you don't want that pressure coming on to you if he's just going for big shots he might get pushed up against the cage because if you miss on those, then it leaves opportunities for Ozdemir to capitalize and push you back. So not that he can't throw big strikes. I think it's just going to be important for Rochick to set those up first. If he's just throwing heat, could be a long night for him and the advantage could go to Ozdemir. But I think that if he works a little bit patiently and establishes the range, the knockout will come for him in the later rounds. Um, probably the second or third. I would like to see Rochick remain a little bit pa- – not that he can't go out and just flatline him. I'm not saying that. But if he remains a little bit patient and kind of waits and, you know, figures out that style and establishes the range early on, then the knockout will come later. I think that's what's going to happen in this fight. Um, I also get nervous because like, when I watch Ozdemir because when he he's fighting a guy with serious knockout power that can rival and maybe even surpasses his own, and when he throws that big right hand that he has a lot of his power in – um, he overextends sometimes and it leaves him open. And like you see guys like Alir Latifi catch him with stuff, Anthony Smith, even a lot of guys have caught him with overextension on his shots. And if he overextends, whereas Rochick has more control in his striking, right? He stays, he, he, he just has more control, man. And uh, I think that if you see Ozdemir overextend against him, the consequences of that mistake will be far graver than fighting a guy like Alir Latifi who's more of a wrestling base. So I'm taking Rochick second round KO. I think that's kind of when you'll see things heat up in this fight. All right, moving on. We've got number five ranked Frankie Edgar fighting number seven ranked Chan Sung Jung, the Korean zombie, in the headlining bout of this card. And I, uh, ah, man, Chan Sung Jung goes out right, and he returns. Who did he return against? Um, I don't think that Yaya Rodriguez was his first fight back, was it? I think he fought somebody right before him, picked up a win. 
Dennis Bermudez, but that was back in 2017. Anyway, I was at the Yair Rodriguez fight. We actually, a couple friends, it took place in Denver, and it was right after, I, it was like a month after I moved out here, so we went to that fight, and it was amazing. Um, a fight that I think had it gone to the scorecards and had Yair Rodriguez not landed that incredible elbow to end the fight, I think Korean Zombie would have won. And, you know, these guys have a common opponent in Yair Rodriguez because Frankie Edgar went out and mauled Yair and got a stoppage, right? So... The thing is, is that Frankie more utilized his wrestling in that matchup, which was smart of him. But uh, you kind of saw that Chan Sung Jung can stand with a guy like that. And although he got knocked out late, he won a fight that primarily took place on the feet for a majority of the fight, right? And that that's not a discredit to what Yair Rodriguez accomplished. If you get knocked out and finished, you get knocked out and finished, man. That's just how it goes. Yair definitely won the fight, no doubt about it. But my point is that Chan Sung Jung is able to hang with an elite, explosive, long, rangy, creative guy on the feet, right? Probably... He's probably more capable on the in, in terms of like pure kickboxing. He's more capable of hanging with a guy like that than Frankie is. But this is MMA. This ain't kickboxing. And Frankie has one of the strongest wrestling games in the featherweight division. Um, I've said I've stated this before. The thing that makes me most nervous about this is that Frankie was probably more in the mindset of fighting Corey Sandhagen, who is a long. Um, Big bantamweight, but still young. And I said this before, like Yair Rodriguez, similar thing, right? A guy who looks like nearly unbeatable, so explosive, so creative, and so well-rounded. But Frankie is a veteran, man, and he uses his wrestling and just goes out there and gets it done. But um, we've seen Frankie Edgar stumble a little bit of late. He uh, most recently lost to Max Holloway via unanimous decision when he fought for the featherweight title, knocked out by Brian Ortega. But Frankie still has it, man, and he hasn't – this is the thing about Frankie is that his pressure and his relentlessness, um, they don't slow down because he has incredible cardio and incredible heart. I mean, this is a guy who – it feels like Frankie Edgar gets clipped in every single one of his fights, right? And uh, you saw like Chan Sung Jung when he dropped uh, – Hanato Moicano in their most re- – which was beautiful, by the way. I mean, Moicano just – it was early on in the fight – and Moicano just didn't snap his jab back fast enough. He kind of like threw out a little bit of a lazy jab and was starting to come with the right. And Korean Zombie just slipped off and boom, threw a big overhand right and fucking dropped him. And here's something that you're going to have to consider too, even if Frankie does take this fight to the ground. Chan Sung Jung is very, very good at grappling. Good jiu-jitsu. He's hit one of the only twisters in UFC history. Um, you see him rolling with some of like the Gracies and stuff sometimes, man. He's got very good jiu-jitsu. So if this fight goes to the ground, he might have what it takes to get back up. That's why the key for this fight, for if this fight just stays on the feet, it's going to lie in, the advantage is going to lie in the hands of the Korean zombie. I think his hands are just a little bit sharper. Not that Frankie Edgar doesn't have great hands, but I think it, as, as the fight wears on, if Frankie can't get this to the ground and mix things up, it's going to be a long night for Frankie. But, Here's the thing is even if Frankie takes us to the ground, the Korean zombie is going to be able to get back up, I think. So for Frankie, it's going to be important for him to not get discouraged when that happens and to continue mixing in and hunting the takedowns. And you'll see this happen a lot of the times in fights. A lot of the times, the first takedown, you can't keep the guy down. The second takedown, you can't keep the guy down. Maybe even the third, fourth in a long fight like this, maybe even the third and fourth, you can't keep him down. But the, as you start chaining together, you're wrestling more and more. Um, that's going to be key in this too is like chain wrestling for Frankie because if the Korean zombie does get taken down, 
he's not going to get taken down the same way the next time. So Frankie's going to have to chain wrestle and string things together in order to land the takedowns. But I think that that's going to be the key to this fight. If the Korean zombie is able to fend off the takedowns, I think he's gonna, he'll obviously be able to win this fight. But Frankie has to land multiple takedowns, and he has to be relentless about them, and then that'll start opening up his boxing and allow him to land strikes and mix everything together well. Um, for the Korean zombie, it's going to be about defending those takedowns and you know, getting into positions where Frankie can't chain wrestle you, keeping your back off the cage, stuff like that. Um, this is a tough fucking fight to pick, man. Um, I actually, I think I'm going to go with Frankie Edgar in this one, man. I'm a little bit biased. Frankie Edgar is like my first favorite fighter. But I also just think that he has the gas tank to keep, like, Chan Sung Jung, he'll, he'll kind of like stand in front of you more, whereas like the footwork and stuff for Frankie, I think is always on point. He moves a lot and he's got Mark Henry as a boxing coach. So it's not like Frankie can't box. It's just, I don't think he'll have an advantage. Like, I just don't think he has an advantage on the feet, you know, as, the, as he needs to mix in his wrestling for his boxing to be at the, at its best. But I see Frankie, you know, acknowledging the fact that he's, struggled to get the fights to the ground most recently and i think that you'll see him hunt for those takedowns a little more and like i said he has the cardio where i don't think if he lands a takedown and korean zombie gets back up that he'll he'll give up on it he's he has like a high fight iq man he's going to be going after things and i think that as the fight wears on frankie will just start landing more and more takedowns more and more takedowns and then he'll be able to secure position you might see korean zombie get up a lot but i just think that frankie will keep it on him takedowns open up the boxing boxing opens up the takedowns and that's what will come together for frankie um he does have to be this is by no means this is a coin flip fight for me man the korean zombie is extremely dangerous and like i said he does have good grappling he does work well in the clinch he does work well in the striking department i mean he's a we got two seasoned veterans going out of here um i'm just gonna go with frankie on this one i like the underdog man i i i think that he's gonna get back to being Frankie Edgar in this fight, you know? Um, probably a decision if Frankie pulls it off. I think the Korean zombie's fucking tough, and he'll be able to stay defensive in a lot of things. And uh, you'll just see Frankie from the top working from guard, you know what I mean, a lot of the time if he does get the takedowns. But um, great fucking fight card, man. I'm really excited. Uh, this fight, by the way, for if you guys don't know, is taking place at 5 a.m. Eastern time on ESPN plus. So I'm in Colorado. So for me, that means I got to wake up at fucking 3am to watch it, but it is, I would watch the replay, but I think I want to try to do some like live scoring on the website that I just launched. Uh, mixed martial analysis.com. By the way, it's a work in progress, but you guys can head over there to check out some videos, some blogs. I'm going to, like I said, it's a work in progress. I'm slowly adding to it. And, uh, I think that's all we got for this one, guys. Like I said, I'm excited for this fight. It's going to be, I mean, every single fight on this card to me is really exciting. I think you guys are going to, if you tune in, you'll be pleasantly surprised at how things go down. Um, what else? What else? What else? Oh, follow us on Instagram, MMA.analysis. I got a Facebook page made for this as well. Um, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. If you're listening on YouTube, we're also on uh, iTunes. You can download us there or Google Play Store. Obviously, if you're listening to either of those, you can find the videos uh, for these as well on YouTube. Um, like I said, head over to the website, mixedmarshallanalysis.com. And uh, yeah, leave some comments below. Let me know what you guys think. Let me know what you guys think about who's going to win the fights. Uh, 
thumbs up if you liked it. You can give me a thumbs down if you didn't. It's okay. <laughs> and uh, thank you all for tuning in. Bye-bye.